Welcome to Walking in Faith with Pastor Rob Currington. This podcast is dedicated to helping develop lifelong seekers of the Kingdom of God. Each week, Pastor Rob helps bring God's message for living to those seeking a richer and more Christ-filled life. Now let's join Pastor Rob as he shares this week's message. Pray with me. Gracious God, our Heavenly Father, we do not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from your mouth. This morning, make us hungry for this heavenly food, that it may nourish us today in the ways of eternal life through Jesus Christ, the true bread of heaven. Amen. Well, one of the many blessings of the internet is that we can all stay up to date on the latest trends that are sweeping the land. Blessing or curse, you decide. Now, depending on what corner of the internet you hang out on, you might see different trends at different times, but one of the trends that I've seen lately is uh, it's kind of this trend of discussing posture, correcting your posture and how you sit and how you stand. I've seen blogs about correcting your posture. I've seen YouTube videos about correct posture, Instagram things, and, and on and on. And apparently, some of us are so ignorant and stupid that we don't even know how to sit or stand correctly. And apparently, this creates a lot of problems, not just in your manners, but in your body. Uh, I mean, I I knew it was important, but as I kind of looked into this idea, I never realized how important it is for the function of your body. Listen to some of the symptoms that can be caused uh, by having bad posture. Back aches and muscle pain. Headaches, fatigue, and tiredness, extra stress on ligaments and joints, possibly leading to arthritis. Your spine can even become permanently disfigured um, and locked into a bad position from continual bad posture. You can get rounded shoulders and even a pot belly uh, from having bad posture. And if you're not sitting up real straight now, then I don't know what you're doing. But that, that all sounds pretty awful, right? I mean, that just... That just, I mean, just even just thinking of that rounded shoulders and a pot belly, just, it just sounds bad. And I don't know about you, but I would like to avoid all of those things. And now, obviously, this is important. Physical posture is important, but we're not here to talk this morning about that. But I bring it up because it relates to the, what we're going to see in our text this morning. See, posture isn't really something you do. It's not so much of an action, but, but a way of approaching things. It's, posture isn't standing, it's how you stand. It's subconscious, it's, it's how you approach it, it's how you approach things. It's, posture is like a mindset. A mindset is how you view the world. Some people are postured to view the world pessimistically, right? The glass is half empty. Why try? I'm just going to fail anyway. What's even the point? You know what I mean? Some people are postured to view the world optimistically. The glass is half full. This is great. Everything's great. And these are different postures, different ways of looking at the world, different ways of approaching life, different mindsets that affect the way that you go about life, affect the way that you interpret what comes your way. Well, the Christian life is obviously no different. The Christian life is not just a a set of rules of do's and don'ts, but it's a way of looking at the world, a way of of posturing yourself to interact with reality. Now, last week we saw that that understanding our identity in Christ, that we are slaves and saints, 
and sons and daughters is critical to knowing how to live in a way that pleases God. And this week we will see some aspects of exactly how that plays out in our lives. See, the Bible gives us multiple examples and commands as to what our posture, what our mindset, what our outlook on life should be. God, the one who has created us, has revealed in his word how to posture ourselves for the Christian life. And if we don't obey, our lives, just like our bodies, begin to manifest symptoms of a, of a messed up posture. Our faith gets slumped over and pot-bellied. Our faith gets arthritis, if you will. So what should a Christian's posture look like? What should characterize a Christian's mindset? What characteristics should be so ingrained in the believer's subconscious? Well, we're going to see that. So open up this morning to Paul's letter to the Philippian church, chapter 1. We're going to continue on in our journey through Philippians. As Landon said, our journey to understand what it means to be a citizen of the kingdom. And what we're going to see this morning, we're going to see three postures, three, three mindsets that the Christian must have. The Apostle Paul is going to be an example of this. And the first one that we're going to see is that the Christian's life should have a posture of gratitude. The Christian's life should have a posture of gratitude. The believer should have a fundamental mindset of thankfulness. Those who have faith in Jesus should be the most grateful people on the planet Earth because they view everything as a gift. The Christian's life should have a posture of gratitude. So we're going to see that in Philippians 1. Turn there with me. Starting in verse 3. Philippians chapter 1. Starting in verse 3. We're going to read 3 through 7. It says this. I thank my God in all my remembrance of you, always in every prayer of mine for you all, making my prayer with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. And I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you with me, with me of grace, both in my imprisonment and in the defense and confirmation of the gospel. Now, it's significant that Paul begins his letter to the Philippian church with a thanksgiving section. Well, this is his pattern. Except for Galatians, where he's just right out of the gate, he's upset. Paul always begins his letters with a section of thanksgiving. This, this is the posture of Paul's heart. You see, Paul has a posture of gratitude. Paul's mind was of such that the first thing he wanted to do when writing a letter to one of his churches was to give thanks to God for them and to let them know that he was thankful for them, that he was grateful for them. It's the first thing he always does before he instructs them, before he teaches them, before he informs them, before he rebukes them, before he challenges them. He lets them know that he is thankful to God for them. And this must be instructive for us. You see, like Paul's greeting that we looked at last week, sometimes we just go right over. It's okay, yeah, okay, Paul, you're thankful. We get it. Okay, on to the next thing. But no, Paul is giving us an example here. See, before we get to the, the commands that Paul gives the Philippians, we need to see the example that he sets for them. He writes with thanksgiving, not only for the Philippians, but for us. It is to be an example of how the famed apostle postured his heart and his life. His posture was one of gratitude. Look at the language he uses. I thank my God in all my remembrance of you, always 
in every prayer of mine for you all, making my prayer with joy. The language is emphatic. Every time I think of you, Philippians, I thank God for you. Every time I pray for you, I thank God for you. And I always pray for you with joy, always thanking God for you. See, Paul is is always grateful for the Philippians. He's always giving thanks to God for them. And he wants them to know this and to see this. Now, wait, you might say, wait a minute, Paul. Don't you remember that you're in prison? Don't you have some complaining to do? You're awaiting a trial that could end your life. You're chained to a Roman guard. Your your missionary journeys have been stopped. They've been hindered. You can't plant churches anymore. And yet you're grateful. Right out of the gate, you give thanks to God for the Philippians. And Paul would say, yeah, my imprisonment does not affect my gratitude. You see, Paul would be a hypocrite if he instructed his churches to be people of gratitude. If he instructed them to have a posture of gratitude and yet... In his imprisonment, he was not thankful. You see, he wrote to the Ephesians saying this, you should be giving thanks always and for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Everything, always and everything. You should give thanks always, you should give thanks for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. And in fact, in Ephesians, that is a mark of being filled with the Spirit. Gratitude is a mark of being filled with the Spirit. Give thanks always, he says. He wrote a similar instruction to the church in Thessalonica, saying this, Rejoice always, pray without ceasing, ceasing, pray without ceasing too, I guess, (laughs) Uh, and give thanks in all circumstances. Now listen to what he says after that. For this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. This is the will of God. Give thanks in all circumstances. This is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. You see this posture of gratitude. It's it's more than just a nice thing that some Christians have. It's more than just a personality trait. Some people have it, some people don't. It is vital to our Christian lives. So much so that it's a mark of being filled with the Spirit. And it is the will of God for every one of us who are in Christ. It's funny, sometimes people spend so much time and energy trying to search out what is God's will for my life. But we have clear words of scripture here. You want to know what God's will for your life is? Give thanks in all circumstances. Learn how to posture your life for gratitude. Hear the words of God this morning. The will of God for your life is to be grateful, to give thanks in all circumstances. You must posture yourself. You must, you must have a mindset that is able to give thanks to God for everything in all circumstances. Paul does this here in the Philippians, letter to the Philippians. Now, before we continue, I want, I want to take a moment to pause. And I, and I want you to think, think about your life. Think about your heart. Think about your, your posture. About your mindset. Is your life... Is your heart characterized by gratitude and thankfulness? Is your life characterized by gratitude and thankfulness? Are are your day-to-day interactions with people marked with gratitude? Or maybe maybe this, is, is your life marked by ungratefulness, by thanklessness, or or maybe even just apathy? Is your life marked by complaining and eye-rolling and bitterness and entitlement? 
Now, this isn't a black or white situation. Imagine if there was a line with, with gratefulness on one side, thankfulness on one side, the ability to give thanks in all circumstances, and on this side, just the most bitter, ungrateful, entitled person. Where would you find yourself on that continuum? Think about that this morning. What if you asked your friends and the people who knew you well, would they consider you a, a grateful person? Someone who's always thankful and giving thanks? Or would they consider you a, a complainer, a grumbler? Someone who sees the negative in everything? Paul will have something to say later about that in Philippians. But consider that this morning. Where, where's your heart at? What's the posture of your life? Do you, do you approach things with, with an eye to give thanks or do you approach things with an eye to complain and be critical? Now, I, I don't know where you are this morning, but be honest with yourself. Now, and this is not to induce some sort of guilt trip. You, you can't guilt your way into gratitude. That won't work. So this is, this is not to guilt you into any type of emotion. This is just to get an honest assessment, to contemplate this this morning so that you can go to God in prayer and address this issue. Because ungratefulness is spiritually poisonous. It's spiritually dangerous. If, if gratefulness, like we saw earlier, is a mark of, of being filled with the Spirit, ungratefulness is, is a mark of, of rejecting the Spirit. According to the Scriptures, ungratefulness or ingratitude or thanklessness is actually a sign of spiritual rebellion. Paul says this in Romans 1.21, and this is his famous passage where he's kind of describing those who have rejected God. Listen to what he says in Romans 1.21. I think I have a slide for this one. He says this, For although they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks to him, but they became futile in their thinking and their foolish hearts were darkened. Do you hear that? Ungratefulness was a step towards the darkening of their hearts. Ungratefulness was a, was a step towards their futile, futileness of thinking. The ungrateful Christian is like a, a person with terrible posture. They're, they're deformed. They're, their faith is slumped over. It's, it's pot-bellied. Their back is aching, so to speak, in their Christian life. It's, it's not right. It's just not set up like it's supposed to be. See, Christ followers should be the most grateful people in the entire world, just like the Apostle Paul. And my prayer is that you will see that more and more as we continue. So that's, you can see Paul's posture of gratitude there in those first two verses, but he also gives us what he is grateful for, specifically about the Philippians. Look at verse five. He says, because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. So Paul gives thanks to God for the Philippian believers because they have partnered with him in the gospel from the very beginning of the, their salvation up until the present. Now this word partnership is the same word that's used elsewhere in scripture, translated fellowship, but it's important to translate a partnership here and that's because this word a lot of times has financial connotations and it does here. It's a business word. See, we think of fellowship as just kind of sitting around sharing food and, and joining with one another, and it is. But it's more, and it's more here in Philippians 1. Paul is thankful for the Philippians' salvation. This, this word encompasses that as well. He's thankful for their friendship. This word encompasses that. But he's especially thankful for the Philippians because of their financial support of his ministry. Now, he makes that clear later in Philippians 4, which we'll get to when we get there. 
But he is thankful for the Philippians because they have partnered with him in the gospel by sending him money and resources. See, because the Philippians were in spiritual fellowship with Paul, they joined with him also in material fellowship. Why? They were thankful that God had saved them through the ministry of Paul. And they wanted Paul to continue his ministry to other people as well. And so they made a tangible expression of their fellowship. They made a tangible expression of their gratitude to Paul by giving him money. And sometimes we get a little bit uncomfortable with that, but that is a very clear biblical principle. Paul says in, I think it's Corinthians, when he's talking about this principle, he says, those who have blessed you in spiritual things, bless them in material things. He says, this is important. Speaking of the Jewish Christians there. And this is a tangible expression of the gratitude of the Philippians. Their mutual partnership in the gospel overflowed into a financial partnership. You see, that is gospel-centered gratitude. Because having a posture of gratitude is allowing that gratitude to be seen and felt. That's part of having gratitude. It doesn't do any good to have gratitude in your heart if it never expresses itself to anyone else. See, they didn't just tell Paul they were grateful for him. They showed him. So you also, as you seek to develop a posture of gospel-centered gratitude, do the same. Don't keep it to yourself. Tell people how grateful you are for them and what they do and show them. Maybe it's financial. Maybe it's money. Maybe it's food. Maybe it's just taking someone out to eat and telling them, hey, I'm thankful for what you do. Maybe it's a letter. Maybe it's a sincere, kind word. Maybe it's a text. Maybe it's a phone call. I know that that's weird these days, but it could be. Uh, I don't know what it is, but, but gospel-centered gratitude always makes itself known and felt. Known and felt. See, pursuing a posture of gospel-centered gratitude is not only about you as an individual. It's not just about you. It's not only about strengthening your own faith, about strengthening your walk. It's about strengthening the church. It's about strengthening and advancing the mission of the gospel. Because grateful people want other people to know about Jesus. And that's what the Philippians were doing. They sent Epaphroditus to Paul saying, we need to support Paul because he needs to keep doing what he's doing. Because we were so blessed by his ministry, we want others to be blessed by his ministry. Because they had a posture of gratitude as well. And so we've seen that. We've seen that Paul is grateful. We've seen what he's grateful for. We've seen that the Philippians were grateful. And so now let's see why. Where is Paul's gratitude based? Well, look at verse 6. He says this, and this really is a famous portion of Scripture. He says, and I am sure of this. In other words, you could also say, He's thankful being sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. So why can Paul be grateful? Because he is absolutely convinced, absolutely persuaded, without a doubt, that God will complete the good work that he began in the Philippian church. In other words, Paul is grateful because he knows that God is at work. He knows that God has begun a good work and he knows that God will finish this good work at the day of Jesus Christ. Paul is absolutely confident in God. He is 100% assured that God is working 
and God will finish his work that he has begun. God began it and God will finish it. Now this knowledge, this realization brings gratefulness to Paul. It postures him towards gratitude. Now in this text, obviously Paul is specifically talking about the Philippian church. But we can apply this principle to our own lives, not only to increase our gratitude, but to increase our confidence in God. The text again says this, and I am sure of this, I am sure, I am persuaded of this, that he, God, who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. God is on the move. God is working. Everything that God desires to do, he begins it, he begins it, he begins it, and he completes it. He starts it, and he finishes it. He began it, and he will see it through to completion until the day of Christ. In other words, till the very end of the age, until the day of judgment, until the day that Jesus Christ returns. This is the God in whom you must place your trust. This is the God in whom you must place your confidence. He is the God who begins, he is the God who works, and he is the God who finishes. Now think about what this means. If you have faith in Christ this morning, guess what? God was the one who began that. You didn't begin it. And guess what? God will finish it. That's why Hebrews calls Jesus the author and the perfecter or finisher of our faith. He he began it and he will finish it. He will complete it. God will sustain you. In other words, as we like to sing here at OVBC, he will hold you fast. One author puts it this way, and and I love this. He says this about this text. Paul's confidence is not in the Christianity of the Christians, but in the godness of God, who is supremely trustworthy, able, and committed to finish the work that he begun. And that's exactly it. That's Paul's hope. That's Paul's confidence. That is the fuel for Paul's posture of gospel-centered gratitude. And if you are seeking to have this this posture of gospel-centered gratitude, that must be your hope and your confidence as well. You can't get there by trusting in your Christianity, in your works, in in your own gratitude to get there. You can't will yourself into being more grateful. It might work a little bit, but you can't change your heart. It just doesn't work like that. It's deeper than that. To have a posture, a mindset, a lifestyle of gospel-centered gratitude, you need to grasp the truth that God is sovereign and that he finishes what he starts and that he is working all things towards the day of Jesus Christ. Because when you begin to grasp this truth, when you begin to view the world this way, it changes everything. You begin to, you begin to realize that everything that you have is a gift. And you realize that the entire reason that you exist on this planet is to glorify God. And you realize that however God wants to use your life for his purposes, whether that means prosperity or whether that means prison, like it does for Paul, that that is good because your hope is not set on this life, but on the next. Because, as Paul will say later in Philippians, your citizenship is in heaven, not here. See, the person who grasps these truths 
simply cannot gaze at the wonders of God's goodness, the wonders of salvation, the wonders of God's work in their life and be ungrateful. No, instead the gospel produces a posture of gratitude in the believer and to the extent that you are ungrateful and, and we all, our hearts are corrupted. We all struggle with ungratefulness to one extent or the other. To the extent that we do, to the extent that your heart is ungrateful, you are forgetting the glorious truths contained in the gospel and in the scriptures. In other words, you have a bad posture. You're going to hurt yourself and others. This is not how we were made to function. So if you're struggling with ungratefulness this morning and you need a posture correction, there's only one place to go, to Christ himself. You've got to remember the gospel afresh. Remember God's grace and God's mission. Remember his past work, his present work, and his future work. And posture your life on gratitude to God so that in every interaction, from when you wake up in the morning to when you, when you go get coffee at the coffee shop, to when you go through the drive through window, to when you're around the family dinner table, to when you're saying your prayers before bed, that everything is marked by gratitude. Let everything in your life be marked with gratitude. So Paul was, was thankful to God for the Philippians because God was at work. He was at work among them. And next, he lets us know that, that God will continue to be at work among them. He gives us the reason why he believes this about the Philippians. Look at verse 7. It is right for me to feel this way or think this way about you all because I hold you in my heart. For you are all partakers with me of grace, both in my imprisonment and in the defense and confirmation of the gospel. Paul here is saying, look, I know God is powerfully at work among you. How do I know? Because you have stood by me in everything that I've been through. When I was thrown in prison, now I'm awaiting trial. You've continued to support me and haven't shrunk back from me. Paul doesn't have this confidence in all of his churches. He says to the Galatians, I'm afraid that my labor among you might be in vain. What words coming from an apostle? He says, I, I, I don't know. It, it, you might have all forsaken Christ. I don't know. But to the Philippians, he says, I am sure that God is at work among you because you've, you've stood by me in my imprisonment and now in my defense and confirmation of the gospel while he awaits trial. In other words, Paul says, what you are doing is exactly what you should be doing. This gratitude that you are, are giving to me, this loyalty is a mark of the spirit of God at work among you. Paul knows that the God is at work because the Philippians have continued to support him and continued to be grateful to him. It's gratitude. It's thanksgiving. Paul had a posture of gratitude. The Philippians had a posture of gratitude. Our brothers and sisters, we too must have this posture of gratitude. Not only for our own benefit, not only because the scriptures teach it to us, but for the benefit of the church and for the benefit of the mission of Christ. It's a way of looking at the world that sees every person and everything as a gift of God. We must be assured of God's work and God's faithfulness and posture our lives for gospel-centered gratitude. But a posture of gratitude is not the only element of posture we see here in this text. It's not the only element, it's not the only posture, it's not the only mindset the Christian is to have. We see another one here in this text, the second one, and that's this. 
The gospel produces a posture of love towards fellow believers. The gospel produces a posture of love towards fellow believers. Now, obviously, these overlap somewhat, but to love Jesus is to love those who love Jesus as well. Those whom Jesus saves, he also fills with love for other believers. Take a look at Paul's words in verse 8. He says this, For God is my witness. Okay, this is serious language. He's essentially saying, I swear to God. Like he's make, God is my witness. This is legal language. God can witness to this fact, how I yearn for you all with the affection of Christ Jesus. God is my witness that I yearn for you with the affection of Christ Jesus. Listen to what Paul's saying. He yearns. This is, this is an emphatic word. He yearns for the Philippians from the depths of his being. He desires to be with them. Paul wants the Philippians to know how much he loves them and how greatly he desires to be with them. But notice the language. I yearn for you with the affection of Christ Jesus. That's kind of a strange thing to say. How do you yearn for someone with someone else's affection? It's almost like he's borrowing it. How can you love someone with someone else's love? But that's exactly what Paul's claiming here. Paul is claiming, and and he's using this language, God is my witness. This is serious business. That he loves the Philippians with the very love of Christ. I love you with Jesus' love. This is interesting. The Greek word here translated affection is is one of my favorite Greek words. It's, It's splunkna. And it's, it's a medical term that means like the entrails, the organs, the liver, like the kidneys. It's like your guts kind of is in our modern day uh, terminology. That, that wouldn't sound good if you translate it like that. I yearn for you with the guts of Christ Jesus, okay? That doesn't make sense to us. But in Greek culture, they believe that the seat of the emotions and of love was, was kind of right here, the, the inward parts. And so essentially, it, it's the same as saying the heart, the compassion, Um, It's the same thing as that. We have a similar notion. Go with your gut. Go with your gut feeling, right? It's a similar idea. All that to say, this word splankna, I just like to say it, uh, communicates a love from the depths of one's beings. From my inward parts, I love you. From the bottom of my heart would be a kind of a common way now to translate it. The kind of love where you you can feel it physically in your body. Paul says, I have this love for you, Philippians. And where did he get it? It's Jesus' love. He got it from Christ. Jesus is loving his people through Paul. That's what he's claiming. And it's not so strange when you think about it. As Christians, we have the Holy Spirit living inside of us. God dwells within us. So much so that Paul can say in Galatians, I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. Well, if Christ lives in me, then I can love you with the love of Christ. And that is what Paul is doing here. How can we not love others who have Christ in them as well? It's just natural. Now, we may struggle, certain people. We may have personality differences. But at the end of the day, Scripture teaches us that Christians love other Christians. That is just what they do. This idea is all over the New Testament. But I want to show you one other place it shows up. Jesus teaches us this. In John 13, 34 through 35, he's giving his disciples some of his last teachings before he goes to the cross. This is his last night on earth. And this is one of the phrases that he says. He says this, A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another. Just 
as I have loved you. There's the love of Christ. You also are to love one another. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples. If you have love for one another. It's the words of Christ. It's a posture of love. In fact, Jesus says this posture of love is how people will know that you are Christ's followers. This is how they'll know, by your love for one another. Not by your political affiliations, not by the list of things you do or don't do, not by the doctrines that you hold to, but by your love for one another. This is how they will identify you as Christians. This posture of love marks the Christian life as different, as set apart. It's not an option. It's not a choice. And it's not sentimental. It doesn't mean you just sit around all day, oh, I love you, I love you. That's, that's not what's going on here. This biblical supernatural love is a, is a love that it, based on action, that expresses itself in caring action. It's a love that is demonstrated spiritually, physically, and materially by taking care of one another. It's the love that the Philippians demonstrated to Paul, and it's the love that Paul demonstrated to the Philippians. Jesus commanded it, Paul demonstrated it, and we must embrace it as well. In fact, the Apostle John in his first letter goes on so far to say that if you do not have love for the brothers, in other words, the, the Christians, you don't know Christ. He says it's not possible to be a Christian and not love Christians. Again, that doesn't mean perfectly. The Christian must have a posture of gospel-centered love, and the Christian must have a posture of gospel-centered gratitude. But you say, I'm struggling with this. I'm struggling with ungratefulness. I'm, I'm struggling with bitterness. I'm, I'm struggling to love those around me. I know I'm supposed to, but, but I'm, I'm failing. I fail sometimes. What do I do? Well, the third posture answers this question. Pray. The Christian must have a posture of prayer. The Christian must have a posture of prayer. The Christian must have a mindset that prayer is essential to life. You must develop a lifestyle of constant prayer. You must develop a posture that, that preempts everything and reacts to everything in prayer. And this only makes sense in light of what we've seen. This only makes sense in light of gratitude and love. How else can you express your gratitude to God but through prayer? How else will you grow in your gratitude except through prayer? How will you grow in your love but by prayer? They are all connected. And that's how Paul ends his Thanksgiving giving section here in this letter to the Philippians. So let's read the final three verses. Take a look at verses 9 through 11. He says this, And it is my prayer that your love may abound more and more with knowledge and all discernment so that you may approve what is excellent and so be pure and blameless for the day of Christ filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. That's Paul's prayer for the Philippians. That's his posture of prayer. Now notice, he doesn't just tell them that he's praying for them, although obviously he is. But no, he wants to tell them what he is praying for them so that they have an example of the types of things they should be praying for. He says, here's what I am praying for you, Philippians. So what does he pray for? Let's break it down. His request that their love 
may grow with knowledge and discernment. Their love may abound more and more. What's the purpose of this prayer? To enable them to approve what is excellent and essential. It's verse 10. The result, the, 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 the result of this is that on the final day when Christ returns, they will be pure and blameless, having grown progressively more and more Christ-like. And on that last day, this will all result in the praise and glory of God. So here's my kind of translation of it. My prayer, Philippians, is that your love and knowledge will grow so that you can know the right things to do in your life so that you will become more Christ-like every day as you look forward to the return of Christ, all to the glory of God. Now, we could spend a lot of time here, but we're not going to. I want to I simply highlight two aspects of Paul's prayer. First, notice, notice what he prays for. He essentially prays that the Philippians would grow in truthful love so that they would be more Christ-like, so that their lives would be more and more a reflection of Christ. That's, that's the main emphasis of his prayer. Now think about this for a second. Compare this to how you pray and what you pray for. Compare the content of Paul's prayer to the contents of your prayers. Paul doesn't pray for finances, although he could use it. I'm sure they could use it. He doesn't pray for their health, although I'm sure they could use it. He doesn't pray for their healing. He doesn't pray for their well-being. Not that praying for those is wrong, but, but Paul is, is simply just more concerned with their Christ-likeness. He is more concerned with their maturity in the faith. In fact, in Colossians, he says that the entire aim of his ministry and all of his energy goes towards presenting people mature in Christ. And I want to reflect on this. Again, it's not wrong to pray for finances or healing or well-being. Don't get me wrong. But be aware of this. When the Apostle Paul prays, he almost always prays for believers' maturity and Christ-likeness and love. That's what he always prays for. Go through his letters and read his prayers when he says, I'm praying this. That's what he's always praying for. Take this to heart because this is important. Take this to heart because as you seek to have a posture of prayer in your life, make sure that the focus of your prayers is biblical. As you pray for yourself, don't just pray, Lord, help my day to go well. Help me to do good today. Help me not to do this sin. No, I mean, pray that, Sure. But pray, Father, make me more like Christ. Make me mature in my faith. Make my love grow. Let it abound. Mold me. Conform me into your will. Make me ready for the return of Christ. As you pray for yourself, as you pray for your wife, your husband, your brothers, your sisters, your pastors, your elders, your deacons, your friends, your children, pray for their spiritual well-being. Pray for their spiritual maturity more than you pray for their physical well-being. Pray for their love to grow. Pray for their knowledge and discernment to grow. Pray for their Christ-likeness. That is the burden of Paul's prayer here in Philippians and everywhere else in his letters. Pray like Paul prayed. That's the first aspect. The second aspect I want to highlight is this phrase here. We'll end on this. Look at this phrase in the, the very last verse. Filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Christ. Now that is a glorious phrase. So Christian, whose righteousness are you trying to be filled with? You know, often we're trying to be filled with our own righteousness, not Christ's. Now this idea will come back in Philippians 3 
where Paul will call his own righteousness trash, garbage. But for now, let me encourage you with this. Quit trusting in your own righteousness and trust rather in the righteousness of Christ. He became sin who knew no sin that we might become the righteousness of God. Christ has accomplished and won, purchased our righteousness. He has accomplished and won our forgiveness. He has accomplished and won our salvation. And that is incredibly important because we've talked about these three postures this morning, gospel-centered, gratitude, love, and prayer. But here's the thing, and here's what you need to hear this morning. These postures are a response to salvation, not a way to achieve it. These postures are a response to God's love, not a way to gain God's love. In other words, as you posture yourself for gratitude, for love and prayer, you do it because God has saved you, not so that God will save you. You can't reverse this order or it doesn't work. No amount of gratitude, no amount of love, no amount of prayer will will please God outside of Christ. You must trust in him and his righteousness alone and count everything else as garbage. That's the point. We respond to the gospel by posturing ourselves for gratitude, for love and prayer. And the more that you understand the grace of God, the more that you understand the gospel, the more that you trust in the righteousness of Christ, the more that you will become grateful, loving, and prayerful. So I ask you this morning, where does your posture need correction? Where are you slouching in your faith, so to speak? Where has your faith become slumped and pot-bellied? Wherever it may be, be reminded this morning of the great truths of the gospel and respond in gratitude and love and in prayer. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we're so thankful. We're so thankful for everything that you have given us. You have bought us with the blood of your son, Jesus. Father, my simple prayer this morning, teach us what that means. Show us how to live in light of that reality. Make us grateful from the heart. Make us love from the heart. Make us pray from our hearts, Lord. Help us to see everything in our life as a gift. That is our prayer this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. We hope you have enjoyed this week's Walking in Faith podcast. We encourage you to share this podcast with others in order to help spread God's message to all those in need. If you have any questions or comments, we would love to hear from you. Email us at walkinginfaith at orangevilla.org. You can help us spread this podcast by writing a review at iTunes. And don't forget to visit us online at orangevilla.org. There you will find more information about our ministry, as well as share your thoughts, submit prayer requests, and find out how you can help others to grow in God's love. Until next week, may God bless you in everything you do.